One of the joys I have each year is finding a speaker for our Father's Day event. And uh, this year I put out a couple calls to some people that I was, uh, had been looking at and was interested in, but they weren't able to make it. And uh, I thought, man, what are we going to do? And uh, then all of a sudden Christian Chapman's name came back to my mind. And I thought, man, i got to see if Christian would be available because I had heard feedback from a lot of you that the last time I was here five years ago, we got to get him back. But things have changed for Christian since the last time he was here. He's no longer an itinerant speaker where he just travels around and speaks in many different places. He now actually is a lead pastor at Radiant Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's hard for lead pastors to be able to leave their congregation on a Sunday. But his church gives him, I think he told me, six opportunities a year where he's able to go. And he right away, without even hesitation, said, man, I want to come back up. I love working with you guys. So we're thrilled to have Christian Chapman here. He's married. He's got three sons. And uh, he told me his oldest son is 16 now, 6'4", size 15 feet. So I think he's going to be a big boy. And, uh, but Christian's just a great guy. He's passionate, full of energy, loves the Lord, loves his community, and loves what we're doing here. He uh, is also involved in the chaplaincy program with the NASCAR uh, teams down there, in particular Joe Gibbs and his team. He does a lot of work with them. And so he's involved in a lot of exciting things, and we're so thrilled to have him with us today. And uh, after the service, he has two books that he's written. One is called Breaking Down Walls, A Battle Worth Fighting, and the second book is called Testify, One Story Can Change the World. And uh, he has those available in the lobby at the back. It's uh, 15 for his newest one, 10 for the old one. Buy both. He'll give them for you for 20. If you're here and you're saying, man, I would love to read more of what this man has to say in paper form, uh, he said, no problem. Come talk to him and he'll just give them to you. That's just the way Christian is. He has a big heart. So we are so pleased this time. He loved it so much here last time. He decided to bring his father with him this time. There's only one thing I'm concerned about. This is the second time we've had him. And I believe five years ago was the only other time it also rained. So I'm not sure if he'll be back a third time. But uh, can we give Christian Chapman a warm welcome from Charlotte, North Carolina. Did it rain last time too? <laughs> now, if you follow college football, who remembers, if anyone remembers who won the national championship this year, I'm going to give you these two books. Who won the national championship? Okay, who's down here? Who said Clemson down here? Stand up the fastest. Really? This is mandate. Thank you, Mark, for stepping up. Come get two books, Mark. Clemson Tigers won the national championship this year. That's Christian's favorite team. I went yesterday. I could not find a Clemson hat anywhere north of <laughs> Buffalo, and I wasn't going that far. But this is an important year. This is why you don't even know your special guest is. This is Canada's 150th anniversary this year, July 1st. So I wasn't sure if you wanted to be caught with a Blue Jays hat on that was so visible. So I got your Blue Jays hat that celebrates Canada, but you will represent the Jays well in Charlotte. Christian, it's so good to. to have you here, buddy. <laughs> Oh, how's everybody doing? Woo! All right, man. I, I love, I love this country. I love to hear what God's doing at your church. First, I just want to uh, brag on your church. I've been speaking for 25 years in churches all over the world, and I always know when I'm at a gospel preaching, spirit-filled church. And I'm telling you, you guys are a gospel-believing, spirit-filled church. Yes, you are. And let me just brag on the pastoral staff. That always flows from the top down. Amen? 
always flows from the top down. You have an integrity-filled team here that is absolutely all-star. Your pastor's really introverted, though. Sometimes I think I scare him. I talk a lot, and sometimes I feel like he goes back into a perspective space, you know, when I'm around him, but he's absolutely incredible. You know, I believe God has a plan for me being here today. I'm a head pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina at a church called Radiant Church. We started the church four years ago, and we have two services now and three pastors on staff, and God is doing great things. They give me eight Sundays off a year. And we are not even in midsummer, and I've already burned up all eight, traveling and speaking all over the country. So I didn't have a Sunday to give, but when Pastor Kelvin called me, and I talked to my team, and uh, it was just amazing how their hearts opened up to it, and they said, man, go. Uh, they didn't even say they were going to dock my pay, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, they just said, get out of town, and I- I'm sorry it's rained twice. I'm feeling like I need to fast and pray more in my life if it's raining every time I show up to speak. But I'm just so glad to be here. But I believe God is going to do a great work today. I really believe that people's lives are going to be changed today. I believe that with all of my heart. Only because the enemy started working really hard against me coming here from the moment Pastor Kelvin called me to come. All kinds of situations in my own church this week uh, and then followed up. By Wednesday, my wife said that she noticed in my son's phone that he has me listed in the phone as the stranger who tries to control me. And I just wept. That hurt. And it made me question whether or not I'm being a good father. It made me question whether or not I need to leave my kids on Father's Day and come and preach the gospel to you. But, you know, as Jeremiah heard me pray one day when he said, Daddy, I heard you say you love Jesus more than anything. I said, yes, I do. He said, you love Jesus more than Mommy? I said, yes. And he got tears in his eyes. He said, do you love Jesus more than me? I said, yes. I said, but Jeremiah, Daddy can't love you as a good father, and I can't love Mommy as a good husband unless I love Jesus first. He has to be the love of my life. He has to lead me, and he has to guide me in all things. So I left to come here, got to the airport Friday, and grabbed the wrong passport. And they told me, hey, this one's out of date. Uh, It was actually the one when I raced in the Baja 1000 in Mexico. It actually had expired, and she said, you're not getting on a plane today, big boy. And I said, look, I'm, I'm preaching the gospel. And she just gave me that look like they'll be okay without it. And, you know, and so I'm like, well, actually, I got to get there. I got to preach. And I found uh, my wife. I called her, and she said, look, I found your other one. You are in date. Let me bring it to you. And by the time she got it there, I missed my plane. So I was on standby in Charlotte, North Carolina, and happened to recognize somebody that was connected to our church. And she said, no, no, I got you, Pastor Christian. I'm going to get you on a plane. We're going to move you up in front of everyone else. So my dad and I got on a plane, then got to LaGuardia, thought things were going to be good, and my 7 o'clock flight was canceled to Toronto. And I went to the customer desk, and all these people trying to get into Toronto were there begging to get on a plane. And to my right, there were two guys from Toronto that were extremely drunk and hungover that had been partying in New York for three days straight. And they were leaned over the counter and they just looked awful. So I felt like giving them a blessing. I said, hey man, you guys look like you have had a rough, rough week. And they said, man, we've been drinking and partying in New York. We gotta get back home to Toronto. I said, well, I'm a pastor, so let me give you the special blessing, brother. I hope God heals your hurt and heals that big hangover you got going on. And one of the guys looked at me and said, man, there ain't no God. When you die, that's it. He leaned back over the counter, and the lady said, oh, look, we have a plane for you two gentlemen. He looked back at me and said, God is real. Thanks, man. (laughs) And he took off with the guy. My dad looked at me like, why didn't you pray for us, bro? We're still stuck in New York. 
So I got on this plane called WestJet. I'd never heard of it in my life. I called uh, Pastor Kelvin. I said, look, man, I might be going to see Jesus. I'm on some plane I've never heard of. And uh, he said, no, you're going to be all right, except for the fact we sat on the runway for an hour trying to get out of New York in a plane that had no air conditioning. So we finally got to Toronto. I was excited, and then I found out they lost our luggage. So I'm looking at my dad going, God is going to do a revival at this church. I just know it. And uh, so we made it. Our luggage finally made it last night. I stunk all day at Niagara Falls yesterday. I felt like jumping in and taking a bath, getting these uh, nasty clothes off me. But God shows up. He comes through. Even though we have to persevere and press through the attack of the enemy, how many of you believe that God is greater in us? And if we will continue to move forward, he will always show up. He'll always give us victory. So one thing I wanted to do this morning, after all the stress, I just want us to open up in a little song of worship. Um, I grew up in the small town of Kannapolis, North Carolina. You would only know that if you're a Dale Earnhardt fan. We have one cotton mill that shut down, and we have one driver that's dead and gone. Turned four at Daytona, took his life. But that's the small town that I was from. But I grew up in a small church uh, called First Wesleyan Church, Uh, where my family basically were pioneer members of this church. And they gave me the keys to the church because they knew I struggled in my life with drinking and drugs and all these things that I was going through as a teenager before I gave my life to Christ. They gave me the keys to the church and said, look, when you go through a difficult time, just go and play the piano and worship God and lay down at the altar and weep. And I can't tell you how many times I went to this church at two o'clock in the morning, uh, high and drunk, and just worshiped and laid down at the altar and cried. How many of you believe that even when you're lost, God will meet your need and he'll still bless you and love you? And so I can remember playing the piano with a candle lit and I got to where I learned how to write songs and just, I play by ear. I'm not, I'm not, I don't consider myself a musician, but I love to write music and express what God is doing in my life. So I wanted to sing a song that I wrote two weeks ago. Hopefully I'll be able to remember and get it right when I was preaching a sermon about the 10 virgins and five of the virgins didn't have oil for the lamp and the uh, the groom came and five of the brides were left behind. And that's just such a painful thing. It was painful for me when I wrote this song to think about people being left behind. So that's why I believe God has me here today. And I believe that's why I've had to persevere through some of these bumps in the road because I believe the Lord is gonna call to someone's heart. And I don't want anybody to be left behind. So I wanna sing this song that I wrote called come back for me, and I just want us to worship, and let me just do this song so I can calm down in my spirit and get ready to preach the word, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today talking about the prodigal son. Because of what you've done on Calvary, 
So remember me Come back for me And please don't leave The blind will see The slave set free When you come for your bride On that day The lame will leave The dumb will speak When we mount up And soar on eagles' wings The dead in Christ will rise What a Surprise for the enemy who thought he ruled the grave. So remember me, please don't leave. Come back for me. Father, it is my greatest desire. I would have never left my beautiful wife of 30 years. I would have never left my beautiful boys, Malachi, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. I would have never left the body of Christ that you've called me to shepherd had it not been for your purpose and your will that I be here. Despite the rain, Father, may we celebrate the fact that you give us rain because rain represents life. It represents your provision. So, Father, I am thankful for all these people that showed up for the Hot Rod Show today with their amazing cars. Thank you for the people that cooked the breakfast and for the hands that provided it, God. This church is doing an amazing job in this community doing outreach. They have done everything they can to bring people here to hear the gospel of your son, Jesus. So now I pray, Father God, that you would be my voice box, you would be my lips, you would be my tone, you would be my heart, you would be the words that I would speak, you would be the steps that I take. And I pray that every word that is spoken would plant a seed in every heart that's here today. And even if it's just one, Lord, that you break through to today that receives you for the first time, we celebrate that. And even if it's just one that rededicates their life and stops playing church games and they come back to you to give their whole heart to you, as your son Jesus said in Revelations, return to your first love. Even if it's just one, we celebrate God. One life is worth celebrating over. 
So, Father, I pray that that message would be very clearly spoken through Luke 15, the prodigal son. What a beautiful story of a father that never lost his hope and his love and never stopped giving grace and forgiveness. May we receive that today. It's in Christ's name we pray. All God's people say. Luke 15, verse 11 says this. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And so the son received this property because his father divided it between them. Let me make it very clear. The son deserved nothing in that moment. He was asking for an inheritance that did not belong to him. And the only way he would have received that inheritance is if the father was dead. So basically he was saying to his father in that moment, give me money that's not coming to me. And since you're not dead, I wish you were, but since you're not, give it to me anyway. You can't understand or begin to even feel the pain that that father must have felt in that that moment when that son so selfishly asked for something under those conditions. But the father graciously divided the property, gave it to him. In verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. He took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. In the Greek, reckless living there means prostitution, it means gambling, it means drunkenness. That's what this young man was engaging in. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. How many of you would raise your hand and give testify to the fact that right when you think the enemy is giving you all the pleasures of the world, he backs out and lets you start to suffer when the truth is revealed? Anybody ever experienced? that joy in the flesh is just temporary the son was having a good time till all of his resources ran out and then famine came into the land and he started to struggle in big ways he began to be in need so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed the pigs for a young Jewish man feeding the pigs is an all-time bad day and that's what this young man is experiencing He was longing to even eat the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. That's the rescue of the world right there. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose up, he came to his father, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him. The father ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And then the son, basically about to give his big apology speech, starts the apology speech by saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father stopped him. He didn't even make him finish his apology. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate For this son of mine was dead, but he is alive again. He was lost, and he has been found. And then they began to celebrate, which is hopefully where Cool and the Gang got their song. Celebrate good times, right? A party broke out because a son came home. What a great Father's Day present for a father that had a son in complete betrayal, right? 
Now, the topic of my talk today is called Rise Up. I'm going to break this word rise down in acronym form, and it comes right out of the scripture. In fact, when I gave my life to Christ in 1987, I was like this on the side of the road with tears falling out of my face. That was my posture. I believe God does his best work when we are low before him. Can somebody say amen, right? This is a Baptist church, right, Pastor? Yeah, I got some amens in here, surely. God does his best work when we're down low. In fact, that's what he told the rich young ruler. Get rid of these things and you can come and follow me. You'll be great. In fact, Jesus says you'll be perfect. And the rich young ruler couldn't give up that one thing. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, it's going to be as difficult for a man with this kind of attitude in his heart to get through the eye of the needle. The eye of the needle was a gate in Jerusalem where the shepherd and the camel would have to get on their knees and crawl through this gate. What's the lesson there? Jesus does his best work when we're down low. And this son rose up because his posture was, I can't do this anymore without you, God. I can't take it anymore. He was down low before the Lord, and he rose up. And when he rose up, God did great things. So I'm going to break this word up, rise. And I'm going to give you the acronym for him, and then I'm going to pray with everything that's within me that God does a great work. If you're taking notes today, the first R is this. The first letter in rise is R. And this is what I want to share with you. In this story, I believe this young man's life started to change when he had revelation knowledge in his heart and in his head. He had revelation knowledge of his circumstances. He went after the world with everything he could. He realized that gambling can't bring me eternal joy. Drinking and drunkenness can't bring me eternal joy. Uh, life in the flesh with the prostitutes can't bring me eternal joy. He realized the weather would let him down. Famine is in the land. Everything's dry. He realized that even people would not be able to meet his need because the very guy that hired him had no compassion for him. Work and feed my pigs, but I'm not giving you anything to eat. What The point Jesus is trying to make is this. When the world has nothing else to offer you, that's when Jesus kicks in and gives you everything that you need. All you have to do is realize with revelation knowledge, I can't do this alone. It takes you, Father God. That's why Jesus is telling this story. You'll, you'll always be let down by the world. And there is so much power in a decision where someone receives revelation knowledge where they understand, I cannot take another step until I give my life to you. I love it when people receive revelation knowledge, even through suffering circumstances, that they cannot live life without the Lord because they realize he's better. Years ago, I, 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 my best friend, his name is Marcus Dilly, and Marcus is still my best friend today. He had a number one R&B hit song um, in 2001. He was opening up for Nelly and Will Smith on the Soul Train show. I don't know if they even show Soul Train in Canada. Does anybody remember the Soul Train show? Okay, my dad's raising his hand. You're from America. Don't forget that, okay? <laughs> He was on the Soul Train show, and he had the number one R&B hit song, Rodney Jerkins, that did Michael Jackson's Thriller album, was his producer. I mean, he was on his way, got hooked on crack cocaine, lost everything, uh, realized when he went to a rehab connected to a church that it was only the little old ladies connected to the church that would bring him cupcakes every day and pray for him. None of the people he made money for, none of his record producers, none of the fans that he signed autographs for, nobody cared about him. It was only the little old ladies at the church that came and prayed for him, and he gave his life to Christ. He moves to Charlotte, North Carolina, where he became my best friend and a worship leader, and he's one of the worship leaders at our church. Amazing dude. He calls me one night, though, 
and says, hey, Christian, I would love to uh, go to Wild Wings Bar and Grill tonight. I'm like, why would you want to go to Wild Wings Bar and Grill? And he said, man, it's karaoke night. And I love to tell this story because there's so much power in this story. He said, it's karaoke night, and I feel like singing a Brian McKnight song. And this brother is white, but he can sing just like Brian McKnight. So make no mistake about it, this brother can lay it down. So I asked my wife, baby, can I go out with Marcus for a little bit at Wild Wings Bar and Grill? She looked at the clock and she said, no. <laughs> it's 11 o'clock at night. You're not going out to Wild Wings Bar and Grill. So I told Marcus, I said, hey, bro, it's not going to happen. He said, man, I don't want to get in trouble. He said, when I get in those environments, sometimes I get tempted. I need a brother to go with me. And I said, okay, look, honey, I'll be back. She said, you better be back at 12 because there's nothing good for a man in Charlotte past midnight. So I would encourage you, if you want me to be happy and if you want to have a good day tomorrow, be here at 11.55. <laughs> and so I took off to Wild Wings Bar really quick, 10-minute drive. I, I pull up, I walk in, and here's this big bouncer at the door that I had actually shared the gospel with, retired NFL football player from the Carolina Panthers. By the way, everybody retires from the Panthers. That's where they end their careers at. And so I saw him there, 275 pounds, trying to squeeze into a large polo shirt, threads popping all over the place. And I had shared the gospel with him before when I was on a date with my wife, and he saw me coming, and he said, yo, pastor, what you doing here, baby? And I said, well, I'm going to listen to my boy sing, and then I'm going to go home. You know I'm straight. I ain't doing no drinking. I'm going to get some sweet tea and some wild wings, man, and get some uh, brave heart wings. It's going to be a good night. Then I'm going to go back home. He said, well, I ain't going to put no bracelet on you because I know you're straight. Go have some fun, player. I'll check you later, doctor. And so I, I put my arm around this big boy and gave him the side saddle hug. I walked in, got my sweet tea and my wings, and Marcus got up and sang this song by Brian McKnight, Packed House. 250, 300 people partying, drinking, making out in the corner, craziness going on. And he gets up and sings this song by Brian McKnight called One Last Cry. Man, he's got a great voice. My shattered dream. I mean, he was tearing it up. All the ladies were filming. Listen to this white boy sing. And they're filming him on stage. And, and I'm up on my bar stool with my napkin and my shirt with chicken sauce on my face because I'm just glad as a married man to get out, right? I'm like, that's my boy. He gets done, and everybody high-fives him, and he comes back to the table, man, and we like the center of attention for a minute, then they go back to doing their thing, and we get ready to leave, because I was like 22, I said, Marcus, man, I got to be home, and he said, man, before you go, would you please do a rap song for Jesus? I said, absolutely not. He said, man, don't, don't you love, man, you can be like Peter. He said, you can walk on water, man. I said, oh, you're going to start bringing out scripture now, right? I said, you didn't sing no hymn. No, don't try to get me killed in here, man. There's like 300 people drunk, violent. People make it out in the corner. This dude's drunk, slobber coming out of his mouth. No, I'm not doing it. He said, man, we can have church in here. I'll pray for you. I got you back. And I don't know how y'all do around here, but when we get dared in the South, we just do it. It don't matter if we lose our life, right? <laughs> so I said, you got my back. He said, I got your back. I dare you to do it, man. Let's see what happens. So I called my wife on the way to the stage. I said, baby, I'm about to rap Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. Nothing but a G thing, and I'm going to change all the words around, and I'm going to rap for Jesus in front of 300 drunk people. If I don't come home, girlfriend, I love you. <laughs> and I could hear her say, don't do it, as I'm hanging up the phone. Don't do it. I get up to the karaoke guy. True story. This is what he said. He took one look at me and said, what you doing, big country? A little Tim McGraw. I was like, well, you would think that would be the natural thing, right? I said, but I'm going to do Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, nothing but a G thing. He looked at me and said, are you high? I said, no. He said, you've been drinking a lot tonight, have you? I said, no, nah, no. Nah. I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor. He said, you a what? 
I said, I'm a pastor, man. I travel and speak and tell people about Jesus. He said, well, why are you doing Snoop Dogg, dude? That, those lyrics are terrible. I said, no, no, don't put the lyrics up. I'm going to rap about Jesus, my Lord and Savior. He put his arm around me. He said, man, I, was, I used to go to church too. And he said, I'm not responsible for what happens for you if you do that in here. I said, man, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I said, just kick that beat. Let's see what happens. So I get up to the microphone. I said, my name is Christian Chapman, and I'm going to rap Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, nothing but a G thing. Kid you not, dude on the front row bounced his way up to the stage with a Budweiser and a shot glass and said, I hear you, big boy. Bring your game, Snoop Dogg. And then I said, this is my game. This is Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, high on Jesus Christ, not West Coast Reefer. And you could have heard a pin drop. Everybody quit drinking liquor. Lady serving beer didn't pour another drop. Bouncer at the door, yo, dog, what you doing? <laughs> Looked at Marcus, he's hiding behind the booth. <laughs> I hear you, Mr. I got you back. And it was too late because the beat kicked in. And man, I'm, I'm from the home of Dale Earnhardt, so I have no idea how this happened. But I just went straight into my Snoop Dogg voice for Jesus. I said, one, two. Three and two to four. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the door. Ready to make an entrance to so step on up. Because what I tell you makes you want to jump. Give me the microphone first so I can burst like the bubble. Counting them long beats together. Now the devil's in trouble. Ain't nothing but a seed thing, baby. One pumped up Christian. I'm not crazy. The Bible is the label that pays me. I'm unchangeable, so please don't try to change me. Oh, yeah. And people are looking at me like you're looking at me now. <laughs> There's a big white dude in here rapping Snoop Dogg. And nobody moved. Man, I just stayed into it, man. I just stayed hard into it. I said, God, what are you going to do? Am I going to die right here? And by the third verse, every, an explosion happened at Wild Wings Bar and Grill. They started going to the left. They started going to the right. People were going crazy. The lady no longer serving alcohol. She was ringing the dollar draft bell. Ding, 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 ding. The bouncer, when you're 275, man, he was doing what he could. Marcus is up. He's going to the right, to the left. The guy left his Budweiser in shot glass, and he's running in front of the stage. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I mean, he was preaching to all the drunks. Do you drunks hear what he's saying? He's talking about Jesus. I mean, it was unreal. I was terrified. And when the song ended, the karaoke guy came up to me and said, I have never in my life experienced anything like that. He said, what just happened? He said, I do karaoke bars all over Charlotte. Nobody has ever reacted that way. There was a line already waiting to talk to Marcus and I when I came off stage. And I put my arm around him now. I said, hey, brother, let me explain to you what happened. All these people came in here trying to live in the flesh and trying to find joy in the world. And their inner soul that was created to be in love with the Most High God started screaming, I want to drink what that dude's drinking. And I'm drinking living water. Amen. I'm drinking living water. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I experienced that that night. We prayed. I called my wife. I said, girlfriend, I got to have a time extension. We have in church at Wild Wings Bar and Grill. And she said, come on home. Oh, God, why did he give me to you? And she just hung up the phone. And me and Marcus stayed until that place closed down. And we prayed for people till 2 o'clock in the morning, which led the manager to give his life to Christ, and we baptized him at our church. That, that, that is revelation knowledge. What that dude has is better than what I got. Can I please get some? 
And you are a church that is living out that same kind of contagious faith. So let me just cheer you on and say, keep doing it. Don't give up because greater is the Lord in you than he that's in the world. You keep living your life for the gospel because people will receive revelation knowledge at some point. They can't do it alone, and they're going to look to you for their answers because they see you living on leaving water, and you're not going to be dehydrated because Jesus never leaves you thirsty. Never. And for those of you who have never experienced that, please open your heart to that kind of revelation knowledge today. I'm standing before you today as living proof that God can change anyone when they open their heart and they receive this power that comes from heaven, that the Holy Spirit drives into our heart and our soul and gives us the mind of Christ that is more powerful than anything else in the world. The second thing that I see are, I believe to have a life change, you have to have revelation knowledge. I believe I, if you get revelation knowledge, then you will immediately Receive intimacy, I, intimacy with the Father. And when I look at this passage, I see a Father that is not bitter. I see a Father that is not carrying a grudge. I see a Father that's not going to make his son suffer and come back hard. I see a Father that it says in Scripture, even while his son was a long ways off, he noticed him coming back. How could a father notice his son from a long ways off? He never took his eyes off on the direction his son left. I love my, every day, his father probably looked in the direction his son left and said, Father God, bring me my son back. And then when he saw him, he didn't make his son come back on his knees and begging. He ran to him. He embraced him. He kissed him. There is no greater love that you will have than when you have revelation knowledge that leads you into an intimate relationship with Father God. It is absolutely amazing. If I could share one story with you that is so powerful. One of the elders at our church, at Radiant Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, is a man that was heavily addicted to crack cocaine, meth, and heroin. And he almost lost his marriage. His name is Matt Rotolo. Four years ago, Matt Rotolo went away to Teen Challenge, which is a place where you can go and get help for your addictions in life. He was there for 14 months. His wife is such a faithful wife. She was about to leave him because of all the pain he had caused, but she dropped him off at the door and said, I am a faithful wife. I'm going to wait on you to see what God does in your life. So 14 months, this woman was alone, waiting to watch and see what the Lord was doing in Matt's life. Matt had a transformation. He gave his life to Christ. Christ immediately took his desire away through the intimacy that he, he was experiencing with him. He took away his desire to do anything else that represents the world. And all he did was read his Bible, pray, worship God, join the choir at Teen Challenge. They traveled all over the country as he sang about the gospel that was coming to life inside of him. And on graduation day, 14 months later, he told me verbally this, I am terrified of what's going to happen to me. I have no job waiting for me. I feel like I'm a different man. Is my wife going to still love me? Are people going to forgive me for the things that I've done? I have no friends outside of my worldly connections that lead me back to heroin, crack, and cocaine. i got to find new friends. Is anybody going to love me and be there for me? And he said in Boston, he went outside where he was staying and went to the coastline, and he said he got on his face and he just started praying to God, God, what am I going to do? I feel so alone. Is my wife going to love me? Am I going to have friends? Am I going to have a job? 
What are my kids going to think about me? And he's in this moment just weeping on the beach, 50 yards, he said, from the water coastline. And he said he looked down in the middle of that prayer, and there were thousands of shells that were broken all over the seashore except for one shell right where he was praying. And it was a humongous shell in perfect condition, not a crack on it. And he said he remembered scooping it up and going, God, thank you for putting me back together. 14 months you have put me back together with the intimate relationship that I have with you. Thank you so much. And the father said, lay it down and just keep praying. So he laid the shell down and he's on his knees and he's praying, God, how are you going to be my provider? What am I going to do? What is my wife going to think? He continued to go through these emotions. And when he opened his eyes, and some of you are going to look at me right now and you're going to go, there's no way that happened. Because that's what I thought immediately in the flesh. But I know how big our God is. He opened his eyes, and there was a fresh fish inside the shell, 50 yards from the shore. And he said he screamed out loud, praising God with every breath inside of him. And he said the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, if I can feed the 5,000, I will always feed you, and I will always guide you in life. Your wife will love you more. Your kids will love you more. You'll have better friends that love me. You're going to go further than you ever were able to go before because I am your provider, Matt. And today, he is one of the most solid leaders that I have at our church. His marriage is completely restored. His kids are absolutely amazing. And he helped start one of the most successful real estate businesses in North Carolina. That's what intimacy with the Father does. And I see so many people living on a seashore full of brokenness when God wants to put you back together and he wants to show you today that he can be your provider. You just gotta have revelation knowledge that will lead you to a place of intimacy. S, once you have revelation knowledge and once you embrace the Father and he embraces you with intimacy, then I believe that you will start to understand how special you are in the eyes of Christ Jesus how special you are. How did this young man feel special? His father didn't make him finish his forgiveness prayer. I'm not gonna make it hard for you today. How else did he feel special? I'm gonna give you the best shoes. I'm gonna give you the best ring. I'm gonna give you the best robe. I'm gonna bring you the fattest calf. We're gonna kill it and we're gonna celebrate. And that's what the Lord does for us. Ever since I gave my life to Christ in 1987, I have felt very special in his eyes. But without Christ trying to live for the world, I wanted to take my own life because of all the misery and suffering that I went through. And it always blows me away how much God loves those that are willing to experience revelation knowledge and intimacy. It's amazing to me that when people just humble themselves and get low before the Lord, how much he loves on them in a very special way that the world could never compete with. A true story that happened not too long ago at Radiant Church. We had a men's breakfast, much like the breakfast that you had here today. And one of my good friends is a MMA fighter. His name is Justin the Viking Wren. Fights for UFC and he also fights for Bellator. He knocks people out for six months out of the year and then takes all that money that he earns and he goes to the Congo jungle to live with the pygmies and he digs water wells and he uses his money to buy people out of slavery in the Congo jungle. How amazing is that? So in his six months when he was in town, because we support him as a missionary, we brought him in to speak one morning. 
And one of our guys was coming to the breakfast, and he saw deep in the woods this tent colony full of homeless people living in the woods. So he walked right back there, and he said, hey, does anybody want to come hear about Jesus? Anybody want to come get a free breakfast? And one individual poured out of the tent. And by the way, the guy that went back in the woods, his name was Matt Rotolo, the same dude with the shell and the fish. How many of you would just celebrate today and say, Christ is contagious, right? When he does a work in you, you can't keep it inside. And so Matt brings this guy named Stephen, a guy that was a retired Marine, to our church. His face was all beat up because they tried to rob him the night before, and he had to fight his way to keep his possessions. He looked terrible. He absolutely smelled terrible. I mean, it was absolutely awful to be around this guy. Just looking at him, I felt so bad for him. I remember crying in the kitchen just being around this dude from the horrific situation he was living in. So all of a sudden, Justin starts to preach the gospel. All six foot six of him, 250 pounds. And this young man gives his life to Christ. He starts weeping. He's the first one at the altar in a room full of men he didn't know. And he's in the posture on his face. He's weeping and he's crying out to God for forgiveness. He gives his life to the Lord. He shares his story with us. The guys at the church say, Christian, we can't let this guy go back to the woods. What are we going to do? And that's what I love about church planting. We don't kind of run our church like a business. We're, we're kind of crazy and off the cuff. When you're a church plant, you can be a little bit irresponsible because you're young. People give you grace on making mistakes. So I came up and said, hey, let's just let him sleep in the church. Get on the couch. Well, what if he takes a soundboard? Well, we'll buy another one. He's a skinny dude. I don't think he can carry that thing out. It's like 21 channels. What if he steals a guitar? I said, well, if it's yours, take it home. What if he steals the TVs in here? What's he going to get a ladder and climb 30 feet in the air? Let him sleep on the couch. I got a beautiful picture of my phone. We got a big picture of Jesus with a crown of thorns looking down at the couch with Stephen sleeping his first night inside the church. And our people at the church were bringing him food every single day as we were awaiting two weeks to get him into Teen Challenge. The very next day was Sunday. Stephen came up and got baptized, and I'll never forget, a guy came up to me as soon as he come out of the water, guy came up to me and said, man, this is my first time at this church. I own a construction company. When this guy graduates, I'm going to give him a job. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? This is the first time you've been to this church? I'm like, Stephen, man, this dude is loving on you. God is loving on you. And then another guy came up to me unprovoked and said, man, when he graduates, I own the apartment complex across the street. I'll give him a condo, and I'll completely furnish it for him. I'm like, this is the first time you've been to this church? He's like, yeah, I go to another church. But, man, he can have an apartment, and he can have all the furniture he wants. I'm like, Stephen, God is loving on you, man. And then another guy came up and said, I have a ministry, 501c3. We fund people to go to these places so you don't have to pay three grand we'll pay it for you first time i've ever been to the church i'm like are you kidding me god stephen look what god is doing in your life and it was one miracle after the other it was much like the sun the best shoes the best ring the best robe the best calf let's celebrate stephen was celebrating like crazy so when it came time for him to go for 14 months, he was weeping. He was scared. I don't want to leave. My, my mom, uh, she's going to be all by herself. Stephen is a Lumbee Indian from Lumberton, North Carolina. It's a small native tribe of people that really uh, have just built this area up in Lumberton, North Carolina. It's where a lot of them live, and they're all connected. They're all relatives. And he said, my mom lives alone. What am I going to do? Who's going to support her? And so I take him to the Billy Graham Library to get his first Bible. 
And I got a picture of him holding his first Bible as we're about to go, and I'm about to drop him off at the camp. And he's crying. Christian, what am I going to do? What, what's my mom going to do? I'm a Lumbee Indian. Nobody would ever help my mom. We get to the door, and at the Billy Graham Library, if you've ever been there, you might not have ever been there, but he, the people open the door and say, thank you for coming to the library. And the guy that opens the door looks just like Stephen. And he looks at Stephen, and Stephen looks at him, and he says, hey, what's your name, young man? Stephen. He said, are you a Lumbee Indian? Stephen says, yeah. He said, I'm a Lumbee Indian too. This is my first day working at the Billy Graham Library. Tell me your story, young man. And I'm sitting back with Matt Rotolo. Somebody took a picture of me and Matt are like this. I mean, it's just one miracle after the other. And they start to talk, and Stephen tells him his story. And the guy looks at him and says, hey, young man, where does your mom live? Lumberton, North Carolina. And the guy said, well, that's where I live. He said, what street is she on? I might pop in and say hey to her. He told him the street. He said, that's the street I live on. And me and Matt are like this. Are you kidding? And he said, what's your mom's name? What's her house address? And he says it. And he says, I live beside your mom. Is your mom's name Patty? And he said, yes. And he said, that's one of my best friends. That's your mom? He said, we've been praying for you, young man. And everything came together. Stephen started weeping. Me and Matt are still in shock. And then we all led into a praise session right at the Billy Graham Library. We're screaming and we're yelling and we're celebrating that God makes us feel special when we don't feel so special because we've given our life to the world. God loved on him. And he looked at him and said, look, when you graduate from this program, I'm going to take care of your mom the whole 14 months you're there. And when you graduate, you're going to come with me. You're going to get your new apartment. You're going to work your job in construction that God's blessed you with. And I'm going to take you to Lumberton every weekend, and we're going to share the gospel with all of our Lumbee brothers. So he's got a place to live. He's got a condo full of furniture. He's got a job waiting on him when he comes back. He's got a Bible with the Word of God confirming the truth of God's Word. And he's got a ministry calling all waiting for him in six months when he graduates from Teen Challenge. God makes us feel special because that's who we are. We are children of the Most High God. And if you don't feel so special today, let revelation knowledge take you into an intimate relationship with the Father, and he will show you how special you are today. The last letter in Rise is this as we get ready to close and as the band starts to make their way up front. Revelation knowledge led this young man to his knees, which led him to a place where he rose up. He went to the Father. He received intimacy from the Father. The Father ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, and then he realized how special he was because he got the best calf, the best robe, the best shoes, the best ring. And then it led them to a place where they started to party and celebrate. And E, in Rise Up, the young man got to experience Christ Jesus. He got to experience the party that I believe God brought me from Charlotte, North Carolina to have someone experience today. I experienced this party in 1987. I played baseball, basketball, and football, but I went through a very difficult time when I was 15 years old. My dad will confirm all this because he lived in this moment. It was a terrorizing moment for our family only because I was making very poor choices. My dad was having to come bail me out of jail. I was drinking all the time. I was doing drugs all the time. I quit playing every sport that was important to me. 
I quit racing motorcycles. I quit being engaged in positive relationships with people at the church. I just denounced God. There is no God. I walked away from church, walked away from the Lord. My mother got desperate. She put me in a military school up north. I got kicked out of Oak Ridge Military Academy. I made my way to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where I started doing drugs even more. I started partying even more. And then eventually, it led me to a place where I overdosed in 1986, Almost 1987, I drug overdosed in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, called my dad to say goodbye. He asked me where I was, recognized where I was, and he said, there's a hospital right down the road. Get there. I'll let them know you're coming. I crawled in on my knees begging for God to save my life. They kept me overnight, gave me some medication, had to drink that lovely charcoal that drug people have to drink when they have all these drugs in their system. And I stayed there all night, released when the police came and made me sign some waivers and the hospital made me sign some waivers and I went right back to the street living homeless in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, going from party to party, begging food off the grill, making my way into people's kitchen, taking soup and taking anything I could, sleeping on the beach at night. 17 years old, that was my life. A young man full of promise, living life for the world as hard as he could, just like the prodigal son. And my father, came and found me in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina and talked me into coming back home. Got me a job at Charlotte Honda, racing motorcycles again. And I just gotta be as real as I can with you. Uh, I even had a shirt that had profanity on the back of it just as an expression of how I felt about life and about other people. And my dad would go out and eat with me with that shirt on because he was never embarrassed. He loved me all the way to the end. My dad has never taken a sip of alcohol in his life but he had a son that was an alcoholic. My dad has never smoked a cigarette or had any tobacco in his mouth in his life, but his son used to do it all the time. My dad has never had a tattoo in his life. I've had many tattoos. I told the group earlier this morning, I've had some tattoos I had to have lasered off because my wife's name, Amy, and she didn't want some chick named Angie on my left bicep, okay? <laughs> who is Angie? And I told her, I don't know who Angie is. That was a bad night. But my dad took all of these circumstances and he continued to love me all the way to the end. But I realized in 1987 that even my dad wasn't enough. I needed a heavenly father to take me to the next level. I got as faithful a father as I could have, as a young man could have, my dad is it. But when it comes to eternal life and when it comes to me being a good husband and when it comes to me being a good father, I cried out in 1987 and said, Father God, he's not enough. It's got to be you. My life was changed one night when I went to a party, had a line of cocaine up to my nose, and gave the cocaine back full on the mirror, full, chopped up with a credit card, ready to start rolling again, and I gave the cocaine back to the guy, and I said, I'm going home tonight, boys. And I'm kind of crazy, so I was kind of the life of every party, and everybody looked at me like, man, Chapman, where are you going, man? We ain't going to have no fun if you leave. I said, well, you stay here. If you want to go with me, you can. I'm going home. This stuff almost killed me not long ago. I'm out. So I got on my street bike, and I started heading back to Kannapolis, and I ran out of gas at like 2, 2.30 in the morning on the side of I-85, which is the biggest highway in Charlotte, right at Harris Boulevard, which is the worst part of town, worst part of town to be broke down in. God broke me down. I ran out of gas right there at the exit, rolled to a stop, took off my helmet, and uh, got really frustrated because I just left the mirror full of cocaine and a party full of people, and now I'm out of gas on the side of the highway at like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I started thumbing for a ride, and a taxi cab picked me up, 
took me to get some gas, came back, put gas in the bike, said bye to the taxi cab, got on my bike, got ready to crank it up, and realized I left my keys in the taxi cab. Took my helmet off, chunked it down the road, said a few choice words that I'm not going to repeat in here. Your pastor will never have me come back if I say what I said that night, but it was bad. And I cried out to God for the first time in my life. This is how my prayer started. I don't see you, I don't hear you, and I don't feel you. I don't believe you, God. I believe that you're a liar. I went to church all these years, and I feel so empty inside. But here I am, God, sarcastically. Here I am. If you love me, if you want me, here I am. I'm broke down. I'm a drug addict. I'm a drunk. I'm a womanizer. I got no education. I got no friends. I got no good job. I've ruined all the relationships with my family that loved me positively my whole life. Here I am. If you want me, then you send somebody to pick me up. Just send somebody. I don't even want a thumb for a ride. I'm tired of doing it the world's way. If you want me, send somebody just to pull over and get me, and I will go to church tomorrow, and I'll give my life to you. Here I am. But if not, I'm probably going to take my life because I'm done. And I'm on the ground, and I start weeping. And I got my eyes closed, and I hear a noise, and I look up, and there's a navy blue Pontiac Firebird pulled over right in front of me. I walk up to the window, because in Charlotte, North Carolina, at 3.30 in the morning off Harris Boulevard, you just don't jump into any car. And I walk up to the car, and I look in the window to see who's in there, and the guy rolls down the window, flips on the inside car light, and the first thing I see on the passenger side seat is a Bible. And I start thinking, are you kidding me? And you know how the devil works, right? It's just a coincidence, Christian. It's not real. But God wasn't letting me off the hook that night because I prayed. And he was about to make me feel special. I was about to eat. I was about to have an experience with God. And I looked down in that car, and it was a black man in 1987 with the biggest afro I've ever seen in my life. Looked like he just walked off the stage of the Commodores. And I was a white guy with the ugliest mullet you've ever seen in your life. If you don't know what a mullet is, Google it and then trash it. Don't ever look at it again. I tell people all the time, you want to know how bad the devil is? Check out a mullet. A mullet and five earrings. I went from being a really good athlete to a mullet and five earrings. Def Leppard t-shirt, jeans with holes in them, and pony shoes. And I looked at this dude, and we had nothing in common, but I will take these words to my grave. He looked right into my eyes and he said, son, I have no idea what led you to this moment. But the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, pull over and tell this young man that I love him and I got a plan for his life. He said, can I share the gospel of Jesus with you? And I got saved. I gave my life to Jesus. I've never doubted him since that moment. It led me and my wife years ago after I played four years of ball in college and played some ball overseas, it led me and my wife to adopt three biracial children because a black man in 1987 looked at a white kid and God spoke to him and said, that boy matters to me. Let him know. And I've been walking with the kingdom ever since. And I don't want to leave here today. I hope all the stinking I went through yesterday walking around in the same clothes wasn't for nothing. I'm hoping that chick looking at me at Charlotte like I was crazy wasn't for nothing when I said I lost my passport. I hope them dudes in Toronto that had a hangover that got my plane before I got it 
wasn't for nothing. I'm hoping my luggage being gone and my flight being canceled in LaGuardia wasn't for nothing. I believe someone here today. God had me come all the way here from Charlotte, North Carolina, so somebody could open their heart, so somebody could get low before the Lord and rise up and say, I am done doing it my way. I want you, Jesus. I want to give my life to you. I want to rededicate my life to you. I want to commit to you everything that I am today. Whatever the decision is, I believe that God wants to do a major work in your life. You have been prayed for. God has you here. God brought me here safely. The word has been preached. The prodigal son, that story 2,000 years ago, is still alive today. If you will have revelation knowledge that you are not enough, God will intimately love you. He will make you feel special, and then you will experience the most amazing life, the life that you were created to live. So bow your heads if you would, please. I'm sure we went a few minutes over, and I apologize to the staff for that. Country boys can get long-winded especially when Jesus is involved. So please forgive me, but please, I want you to get that posture of just being down in this moment. If you don't mind, just if, if you can't get on the floor, that's fine, but if you'll just hunch over and if you'll just show a posture of submission in this moment, just get as low as you can. I'm begging you. Father, here we are as low as we can possibly get this morning. I pray, Father God, that as we get low, you would rise us up with your love. I love these people so much, they'll never know. But you have given me so much love for this world, and you've given me so much love for the people. My only desire is that people would know you. Give them revelation knowledge. Speak to them right now, Father God. Let them know that they cannot conquer their sin on their own. Let them know that the world's love is not enough. Let them know that the enemy will always leave them short and depressed and frustrated, will always leave them empty inside. Give them revelation knowledge today. And then, God, I pray that you would love them intimately. Father, as they come to you, as they rise up, I pray that you would love them and kiss them and embrace them. I pray that you would give them the best ring, the best robe, the best shoes. I pray that you would throw the best party with the best fatted calf. And I pray that we would all experience you in a deeper way today. If you would like to make any decision for the Lord today, with the heads bowed and the eyes closed, would you please just stand up with me today? I'll stand with you. It can be any decision at all. Just stand up and rededicate your life. Stand up today. Just rise to your feet. Don't worry about what other people are thinking. It can be any decision at all. We have one standing. You're not going to be alone. Just stand. Don't give in to the peer pressure. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy. Don't worry about people hearing your seat crack as you get up. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks today. I want you to rise to your feet. I want you to rise up and say, I want you, Jesus. You've given me revelation knowledge today. I want to feel the intimacy that can come from heaven. I want to feel that I'm special inside. I want to experience you in a deeper way. 
You have an amazing gospel church here that is ready to walk through life with you. Know that you came here today for a reason. It was to hear this story of the prodigal son, all the bad things that he did, and how God changed him through the intimate love of a father. It's Father's Day. There's a heavenly father. No matter what your earthly father has left you feeling like, there's an earthly father today that wants to love you. Just stand up. There's people standing up all over, so I want to give the Holy Spirit time to continue to work because I know, I know that there are more, and I know that your hearts are beating fast. I know that there's a challenge from the enemy. I feel it all the time. I always worry about what other people think about me. In this moment, let everything go and let it just be you and the Holy Spirit. People are standing in the balcony and people are standing down here. Anyone else want to join you? It can be just to say, I want more of you. I've been walking with the world and I want to come back. Amen. They're still standing. So I just want to continue to ask the Holy Spirit to do just a deep work. We live in a world that is falling to pieces, folks. I'll never forget what Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said before she died. If God doesn't judge America soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We have went off the deep end. People are continuing to walk away from the Lord, but today you can run to the Lord. You can stand up and say, I'm not giving in to that. I'm not giving in to that system. I'm not giving in to that lie. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to follow you, God, with everything I have. Anyone else? Amen.